0: This is Katie O'Hagan, the voice of Mia Winters in Resident Evil Biohazard. And when I'm not babysitting temperamental bioweapons, I'm listening to the Crimson Head Elder podcast.
1: Are you, Are you all right?
0: You shouldn't be here.
2: What do you mean? You contacted me.
0: No, no, I wouldn't. Did I? Did anyone see you? Did he see you?
2: Who else is here in what the hell's going on?
0: Daddy's coming. We need to go. Daddy? We need to go now.
2: What is this place? What'd they do to you?
0: Not now. We need to get out of here first.
2: Mia, we have to talk. Message you sent.
0: Not me. That wasn't me.
2: But you did.
0: I didn't. Nathan, it's okay. It's okay. It's me. No, you didn't. That hurt me. <laughs> hey. I've done that! It's fucking hard!
3: Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder podcast, your favourite podcast about your favourite video game. We're the top rated survival horror podcast on iTunes and here's why. We exclusively interview the developers, composers and actors of Resident Evil always before anyone else and like no other. In our mansion this evening, we are honored to host an actress who played both protagonist and antagonist in the critically acclaimed Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. The voice of Mia Winters. Mocap for Mia Winters. She is Mia Winters. The immensely talented Katie O'Hagan.
0: Woo! Hello! Yeah. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Oh, it's
3: a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. We're all so excited and we've got questions that we've had posted at our forum from all your fans around the world. We've got some staff members here and myself, of course, George Trevor. I'll quickly introduce them and then we'll get into the questions. We've got the Oracle Dragon.
4: fanning myself with a fan here.
3: <laughs> oh, you're feeling very regal.
4: Very Southern. <laughs> I was going over the questions and being all dramatic. Oh, da 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 da! da, da.
0: <laughs> you can do the acting on the podcast. <laughs> I usually do at some point. <laughs> it sounds good to me. I'll, I'll sit and be entertained.
3: <laughs> it sounds like the wilderness where I live, and so we often get like <laughs> noises, like from cockerels and crickets. Yeah. And the crickets worked really well, didn't they? One podcast because it was really atmospheric and it worked perfectly for Resident oh, Evil geez. One. (laughs)
0: It sounds like my house at night Besides the helicopters that circle the area
3: (laughs) Oh god, yeah (laughs) Well, that would be good for one of the Resident Evil movies That would work well Yeah,
0: exactly Not so much the games, but the movies It it fits nicely
3: (laughs) Over in Texas, we've got Albert Wesker
5: 187 Hello Hey Katie, it's an honor and privilege to finally meet you How are you doing?
0: I'm good David, nice to meet you Texas and Arizona, I don't know how you guys do it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> too hot for my blood.
3: <laughs> Talking of nice weather over in gloomy grey Wales.
0: <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello.
6: We've got BSA Arclay. It's actually sunny, I love you know.
0: Nice.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Once a year we get it.
0: For a week's time and then it goes away. <laughs>
6: yeah, it comes and goes. Yeah. We've actually had our hottest summer since like the 70s. Yeah, it's been boiling. I'm not used to it. I'm melting. <laughs>
0: I don't know if you guys have ever done any of those zombie survival like questionnaires to see how long you would survive in a zombie apocalypse. Uh, Yes, I've done a few of those. Yeah, Yeah,
5: me
0: too. Every time I do one of those, I think I'll survive. I end up dying because they say I'm too willing to just kill everybody off.
6: (laughs) Every man for himself.
0: Exactly. (laughs) It's not that. It's like if you turn into a zombie, I'm not waiting for a cure. You're you're done. (laughs) Bye bye. (laughs) It's too late, man. It's done.
5: If there's a zombie apocalypse, hang out with gamers. They know how to kill zombies. They
4: know <laughs> how to do it.
3: <laughs> First question, I'll hand over to the Oracle Dragon.
4: M. Greg asks, What is your weapon of choice in a biohazard outbreak?
5: <laughs> you got two weapon experts, Aaron and myself.
0: Okay. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> My weapon of choice, honestly, would be the cure. I mean, <laughs> ah. forget a weapon. You have the cure. You're good to go. And I know in this world, there are cures out there. So <laughs> that is the best answer just, like... to that
6: question I've ever heard. <laughs> That it it was cheating, but also at the same time, it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was.
0: Yeah, so that would be my first choice if, if I couldn't have that. I mean, I definitely don't want guns. They make too much noise. But then you got to deal with bullets. Those are going to run out. So don't you want something that's never going to run out? So I like the idea of like... A bow gun. sword, Like longer swords. A bogun, though, you, you got to be a good aim.
5: <laughs> yeah, because you can shoot the zombie in the head and pull it, pull it out and put and shoot it again and use it over and over again. You have unlimited
0: arrows. I'm thinking like a really long bat or hockey stick with like some good weight to it with barbed wire or something. So I'm not too close, but I can still whack you over the head. I like the idea of samurai swords. I do watch The Walking Dead. That idea yes. is pretty great. Michonne's pretty badass. Yeah, yeah Michonne is a badass. No <laughs>
5: doubt about that. I do like yeah. the
0: amount
3: of thought that you clearly have already put into this already.
0: You, you, ha- you have to. You know it's coming. What are these things? <laughs> Are you a bed. prepper?
3: Have you got, like, a basement with, like,
0: a... Uh... I'm not a doomsday prepper. I definitely grew up, like, camping and stuff. And I live in California, so I think more of when the big earthquake will come and just, like, split California off from the rest of the United States. So, in my mind, I just need a boat. As the water starts coming <laughs> in, I just sit in my boat and wait for it to come and just row to Arizona, and I'll be good to go.
3: Yeah, with your sun, your Swords.
1: Yeah, will <you're> be, <back. laughs>
0: I mean, like, a couple swords, a rowboat. I'm golden. I'm mm-hmm. set. Oh, oh. <laughs>
4: Umbrella's behind it all, we all know
0: that. <clears throat> It's a secret.
3: <laughs> and now another very special Crimson Head Elder exclusive as Katie O'Hagan reprises her role as Mia Winters, reading in character from the Resident Evil 7 file, Mia's letter to the Bakers.
0: To the Baker family. Thank you for saving my life, but please forget all about me. I was assigned to transport some important cargo on that ship. Getting involved with me or that cargo can only cause trouble for your family. Big trouble. Please don't contact the police or state authorities. Just pretend we never met. And you saved me, so take this advice in return. If you see a girl near the ship who looks about 10 years old, do not approach her. If she talks to you, get away as quickly as you can. Just try not to make her angry in the process. If you've been feeling ill at all, then I'm afraid the worst may have already happened. It's a fate worse than death, and it can't be cured at a hospital. I'm so sorry. There is a way to stop it, though serum if you inject it you can stop the symptoms
6: are you a fan of the series if so were you a convert before or after taking on this wonderfully complicated role
0: oh my goodness so actually i didn't know a whole ton about the series i played the first game many many years ago uh, when it came out and i was much younger But then beyond that, I didn't really get to play much. I have too many brothers. They always played, so.
3: (laughs) That's how a lot of people, I think, come to the series, through older brothers and older sisters.
0: I think so, yeah. My brothers kind of took over. I remember playing that as a kid not very much very very basic and then it really wasn't until after i got this role that i kind of went back and watched some of the films and i started doing a little more research online as to what i got myself involved into <laughs> <laughs> you can rub it, it in is your brother's faces now brothers and ex-boyfriends it's like the best thing ever like I look at what I did
3: <laughs> your cool status goes through the roof
0: yeah it definitely is pretty cool I'm waiting for my like nieces and nephews to get older to become like the ultimately cool aunt yeah they're never gonna be able to look at you again when they when they see you know that that mere
3: antagonist side of you they're gonna uh, you're not gonna have any trouble with them not listening to you again
0: no they already get bits and pieces of that so
3: <laughs> yeah oh my god bring out the crazy Mia when they're not listening
0: Just a smidge.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Tyke215 from New York asks, did you get to play Biohazard 7 after it was released?
0: Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. I have seen a ton of it. Thank you to everyone who puts their um, playthroughs online because that is how I've been able to witness the game and my actions. (laughs) is by watching YouTube videos of other people playing. So uh, I'm hoping, I do have a friend who has it and he actually has the Oculus and I'm kind of holding out to play the game until I can play it with the VR because I feel like... If I'm going to be scared, I want to be scared properly. (laughs) (laughs) Here you come as Mia at Ethan, and you'll be like, "Oh, That's kind of what I want, though, because I I know what's coming. Like I remember filming everything so much, so it's kind of like, I feel like if I just play the game, it'll be like, Oh, I remember doing that. But if I do it in VR, it'll be so immersive that I will probably not be able to get through the game, so...
6: (laughs) That's the best version you could play as well, the Oculus one. The PS4 VR apparently is not as good, so you will be playing like the Real one.
0: That's what I'm hoping.
6: This question comes from the Oracle
5: Dragon from Pennsylvania, and she says, this is an awesome and great delight. Your portrayal of Mio made a large impact for players. She scared so many when she grabbed the chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) How did Capcom approach you to play Mio Winters?
0: Kind of. A bit of my doing, a bit of their doing. So I, just as an actor, saw a casting call for a very demonic, possessed female. And I thought, hey, this would be really, really fun. So (laughs) (laughs) I grew up doing crazy voices and I loved being the pretty girl that could scare the crap out of you. So (laughs) (laughs) that... That was kind of my goal in many, many cases. So uh, yeah, I I submitted for the role. They called me in for an audition and I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. They called me in and they were like, these guys from Japan are here. A director from New York is here. We're in LA. We're going to do multiple auditions. So I came in and they just, it was all freeform. There was no script.
3: Did you have an idea At the very least that it was for a video game genre or survival horror, or did you not even know that?
0: I knew it was for motion capture, so I knew it was a video game. I had no idea it was survival horror because of the feel for the character they were looking for. I assumed that it was zombie-esque or, you know, definitely a Ah. scary type of video game. Again, I am not a big gamer, so I just didn't have an idea of what is out there now and what they create now when it comes to video (laughs) games.
6: Must have been like being thrown into the deep end.
0: It was. It was the most physically demanding audition I've ever been to. I got in there in front of everybody and they just kind of gave me um, a couple of lines. They had me running all over the place. They had me dropping the floor. It was, okay, if you were in a room and somebody else was in a room, it was pitch black. How would you scare me? So it was all about my voice.
3: And it sounds very much like the experience of the player because that was the one thing that got me at the beginning is, is you're thrown right into the action. I mean, it, it doesn't stop. And my God, at the beginning, I've only been playing this video game for two minutes and I've already lost my arm. Yeah. Uh, you know,
0: <laughs> It's true, though. I mean, I went into it not knowing and I kind of told my... I think they were looking for somebody who wouldn't be embarrassed by going over the top and having to go crazy because I know you can get in your own head sometimes, especially when... So many people are watching you. And then you yeah. hold
3: back as an actor, I imagine. If
0: exactly. If you get to in your head, you definitely hold back. So when I went into this not really knowing, I was like, you know what? I don't know these people. I don't know what's going on. So I am just going to dive head first. And I mean, they had me freaking out, grabbing invisible knives and screwdrivers and killing people and sad and happy. So it was like the <sighs> spectrum.
3: Yeah. <laughs> must be demanding especially if you're doing that all on the same day that range within short spaces of time
0: it was i mean and it was all demonic and right before i left they were like they basically said they were thinking about having two actresses one for crazy one for regular mia and uh later that night i got a phone call if i could come back in and audition again as normal mia so (laughs) hey baby I just wanted to send a quick hello, and I love you. Oh, good news, I'm gonna be coming home soon, yay! Oh, I cannot wait to be done with this babysitting job, and come home to my loving husband. I miss you. Oh, I gotta get back to work. I love you, Ethan. I miss you so much. I'm sending tons of kisses. Bye, baby.
3: Chick 99 in North America, she asks, what was your initial impression when you first read Mia's biography and backstory?
0: I actually only got parts of it. So I know a lot of people talk about how secretive it is with Resident Evil games. And it it really was like that. So I only kind of knew what was put in front of me, you know, right before we did filming. So I kind of had to go scene by scene. Like I I knew it was a husband wife, I knew that she had been missing. But there was no idea about the Resident Evil background about umbrella about that ultimate ending of Evelyn, until (laughs) like halfway through filming. (laughs) Oh my god.
6: Between working with you and then actually releasing the game, there was a big gap. So they knew that they had to keep a secret because it was going to be for a long time before it came out.
0: I worked on it on and off for two years. It had already been started a good two years before that. I couldn't believe the process that it all goes through. It's kind of crazy. I learned a lot (laughs) having to do with the video game world just from doing this one game. (laughs) while we appreciate you're not maybe going
3: to get the level of backstory that maybe you would get if you were portraying Mia Winters in a television drama but did you still feel though as an actor that you warrant and the performance that you want to give that that warrants maybe getting a bit more information a bit more backstory on the character
0: there were definitely times I wish I would have known a little bit more and that's more the actor in me, just kind of wanting to be able to pull more to a character. But between uh, Naveed, who is our director on site, he's from New York, and then the Capcom team that was there, you definitely got enough. They they gave you enough so you could still work, still perform, you know, any questions you had, they would answer to the best of their ability. But again... They even kept some stuff secret. So you couldn't get too much out of them.
3: <laughs> and that's one of the things that really drew me into the series was the fact that these characters do have such a wealth and, and, and such a body of biography behind them. You can really connect connect with them. That body of information is why we all hope you know, to see Mia again.
0: Once it came out that it was Resident Evil, then we were able to get... About a year into working on it is when we found out it was Resident Evil. So once that happened... Then you were able to get more. There was a little bit more backstory, a little bit more understanding of like, oh, this is what's happening. That's why this is happening. <laughs> so <laughs> things finally came into the light. It was just, you know, a little bit later than one would usually like.
6: <laughs> the thing with this series as well, this is quite notorious for adding like character development long after the characters have showed up. So you might find yourself in a year or two now and we get more information on Mia in like an art book or something like that. So you might be quite surprised at the amount of information that comes out after you've already appeared as well.
0: Exactly. And then I'm actually kind of looking forward to stuff like that. Just having lived this character for two years, I kind of look forward to seeing what will appear later with her. (laughs) I hope to be a part of it, but if not, (laughs) I still just want to see where they'll grow with her because she is such an interesting and kind of crazy being in this realm.
3: (laughs) What I liked is the way it kind of, Trolled me at the beginning i was made to look stupid for quickly jumping to conclusions because the minute the game starts and you've got that mere recording where she's you know giving that love message right. uh, to her boyfriend and i'm thinking what sorry have i bought the right game this is resident evil right and uh, <laughs> it was a great spin the way you then find later on you find the second part of that recording where she's then warning ethan i thought that worked really well like a nice little twist
0: And that was fun to record, too, because it was so basic and it's such a small thing. But at the same time, it meant so much. Because it's the first time you see a very normal human being in Mia in just that little recording. I think it's like the only time during the game you get to see her totally normal
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah you're right because the second time around when she refers to her babysitting job that
5: word babysitting job just has a whole different meaning the second time around.
0: exactly <laughs>
5: yeah because when she's talking to Ethan you can see in the in the first video like she's telling you how she lives and then she looks at the at the I guess whoever's calling her she seems like frustrated like oh what do you want yeah and- you're
3: right David because I missed I missed that the first time around when I saw that yeah. like I think the second or third time that's obviously that's clearly giving a clue to you know to her surroundings yeah
0: I vividly remember filming that and just having that idea because you're in an empty room so this is all as an actor the imagination I got to use during a lot of this was (laughs) awesome because you are you know you're in your spandex like jumpsuit you have a little camera on your face and you're just in this big empty room so everything that you're doing has to be in your imagination, because you don't get to see it. You're told that here's a door, here's this. You're on a ship, but it's not really there. So you just kind of have to go with it and have some fun.
3: <laughs> Hearing in your voice now, I can hear just like the, the passion and enthusiasm you had for the roles. So, and if you if you don't have that, then you're just not going to then be able to build in that imagination, uh, exactly. to, then to, to then get you in the moment.
0: Exactly. Yeah, these are video games, and they've they've come such a long way from when we were kids or at least I don't know how everybody, how old everyone is here, but from when I was a kid, <laughs> they have come such a long way.
3: Yeah, crikey, the voice acting. I mean, without wanting to be disparaging, the voice acting, you mentioned the first Resident Evil game you ever played.
0: Straight to the point, you know.
3: <laughs> it, yeah, it is very B-movie, to say the right. least. <laughs>
0: I'm so thankful that they've come such a long way.
3: (laughs) And it just immerses us so much more in the experience. And I think Resident Evil 7, which very much goes back to that survival horror style, whereas the previous Mm -hmm. games that were very much combat orientated. When we're very much relying on hiding, when we don't have a gun and all we're relying on is just hiding, all of that atmosphere and all of that gameplay just falls down if the performance isn't really believable and really frightening.
0: Right, and that's such a testament also to the casting on this project. I mean, everyone who was there, everyone who worked, it was so much fun. Even days where, you know, I kind of sat and got to watch because I wasn't filming right away. Just watching all the actors and their voices and performances were just incredible. You're sitting there and you're watching it and you're still terrified. And I, you know, you're just trying to imagine what this is going to look like when it finally comes out. (laughs) We had such a good time, and I mean, you can see by playing the game, not everyone really got to work together a lot. There were certain characters that definitely worked together more, so they got to film together more. But we did get bits and pieces with everyone, and it was just so—you enjoyed— when you found out you were shooting. You enjoyed and being like, oh, I wonder who I'm gonna be shooting with this week or who am I gonna be shooting with this time? So it was always really exciting. You were never like nervous or never down. Everybody, when they yelled cut, you'd just go sit and goof off and talk sports or hang out. Like it was a very normal group of people, which is so appreciated when you're on a set. You just never know who you're gonna work with. Ethan. You were right, I did lie to you. I shouldn't have, all I can say is that if you get this, stay away. I'd be in a booth for four hours with just hundreds of lines or words or different ways to say it so that they had such a variety that they could use once it was all put together.
5: I think one of the best moments for you is when you're on the stairs and you throw Ethan to the door and you're crawling up the stairs. That part was just really scary. One of my favorite parts of the game was that part when you just jump out of the door and the camera pans off <laughs> to see somewhere else. I was that was awesome as well. I, I love that. And I got my little cousin to play the game. She's like 10 oh, no. years old. And she, oh no, she, oh, David! She, she was like 10 years old. She want, I didn't tell her. Hey, you want to play Resident Evil? San so no. She's like, Oh, I want to try out that game. I was like, You sure it's a scary game? Well, I'm not scared. I was like, Okay, fine. I'll she's leave the lights <laughs> on. <Yes. laughs> like I'll leave the lights on. It's like, "Can I use that? Can I use the headset?" It's like, "Oh boy, you want to use the headset? Okay." So I there oh. used the headset, and oh. she saw that part, and she got scared. She she jumped out of her seat when she saw that part happening.
6: <laughs> you scarred her for the rest of her oh life, goodness. man. She's gonna remember that when she.
5: <laughs> she kept coming back for more. Like I want to play that game.
3: This is Texas. I mean, they they bring them up hard down
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God! That poor girl. <laughs>
3: Because that seems horrific, because the thing I liked about that is Mia's crawling almost spider-like.
0: That was in the mocap, yeah, and we did it a couple different ways, just, you know, me crawling around the floor certain ways. At one point they brought in stairs, so I actually was creepily crawling up and down stairs, so many different ways. So they had all of the stuff to choose from once they were ready to put it in the game and decide, okay, what do we want this to look like? With the motion capture, it was full scripts, full scenes. So you still were doing all of the acting, all the voice acting. And then a little bit later, we'd go into the booth to touch up things or if cameras got knocked off or quite a few times I knocked my mics right off my head or my back from doing different motions or stunts or whatnot (laughs) when I was crazy, Mia. So (laughs) there was always a lot of fixing when it came to my voice stuff.
3: It looks amazing. The thing I love is the fact that when I saw it for the first time, I I even didn't know whether she was going to be humanoid all of her because you just she comes into screen so slowly.
6: The way she's calling, my mind was racing.
3: What's she going to look like? You know, what's (laughs) coming my
6: way? It was like. Oh, I yeah. couldn't even see anything. And all I could like do know, was that. And I was like, okay, hang on, no, stop. And
5: I like, oh, <laughs> also like when you're fighting against her in a boss fight, when you're shooting her with the gun where she cut your hand off, she's trying to hit you with the chainsaw. You're like, you don't know what's going to happen. You know where to go. You're running around the room like an idiot, so she won't hit you, and she still manages to hit you. After you hit her many, shoot her many times, she's like, I love you. I was like,
0: what the <laughs> <heck?"> <laughs> She's fighting deep down inside. She's still human. She's she's trying to fight Evelyn. You know, you get that Yeah, mix.
6: yeah. <laughs> the boss fight with yourself at the beginning, that is known for being the most difficult part of the game. That is supposed to be the most hard part of the game.
0: I love that.
6: (laughs) Yeah, it's true.
0: Well, the funny part is, just recently, I have a cousin who forgot that I was Mia in this game, and he was all excited, and he wrote his other cousin saying, hey, I just finished Resident Evil Biohazard. I finally beat it. And during the credits, he saw my name and was like, holy crap so he called me to tell me about it he's like i totally forgot it was you and i played the whole game and i the first thing i asked him i go how many times did i kill you and he got so (laughs) mad because he said it took him forever to beat Mia, which i i had no idea i thought oh it's the first one it's probably the easiest to get
5: through (laughs) no definitely not definitely (laughs) not no (laughs)
0: we got to keep you coming back.
3: The best thing about that scene for me is the fact that you're just asking yourself so many questions because you haven't got a clue what's going on. You know, (laughs) suddenly your girlfriend's, you know, attacking you. You've (laughs) killed her. You've lost your heart. And I'm kind of thinking, where's the game going to go from here? That's the thing that I love. The fact that, you know, it all ties together. The fact that at the very end, you're walking through that scene again and you get flashbacks. And and the last moments of the game are some of the best as well because it ties all that up together in, in the last 10 minutes of the game.
0: I just want to play the game and have somebody record me killing me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's me. I know you didn't mean to hurt me.
4: You shouldn't
3: have done that! It's fucking hard!
0: See how uh, you feel.
5: Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs>
6: This one's from Ray Redfield from Malaysia. She says, Hi, Miss Katie. Much love from Malaysia. I really love the work put into voice in mere winters. It was filled with so many emotions of sadness, but at the same time creeping me out so much. You <laughs> managed to do it with so much energy that it became a very important aspect in Resident Evil 7. You gave us the eerie atmosphere that has been missing in recent installments. When you were cast in the role, What was the first thing that crossed your mind having to act as two conversely different personalities in the same character?
0: I would say excitement. I was just very excited. I didn't know. When I initially went out for this role, I didn't know it was going to be two roles. So I just went out for the crazy person. And then they told me there was the possibility of me also playing a regular version. I auditioned for both, got it. And when I found that out, I was just excited. And I was very anxious to find out how these two characters were going to meld together. So it wasn't until I got on set and started getting some of the scripts and some of the storyline where I started understanding. Because the first thing I ever filmed was actually the kitchen demo.
6: Did you know that that was for the demo or did you think that was part of the main game?
0: When we filmed that, we just thought it was part of the game. We just thought it was part of a scary game. And so that whole day of shooting was just me doing the crazy noises and the crawling and dragging and killing. (laughs) So it was all crazy. And it wasn't until a bit later where I started getting scripts in that were showing a more normal side to Mia. Yeah, it was just exciting. It was going to be a challenge, and that's what I was looking forward to most, was the challenge of fading from one character to the other and keeping it cohesive and believable that it's still the same person.
6: Was you aware that the kitchen demo came out a year before Resident Evil release?
0: no one told us that it came out, but I had heard something. So I decided to like type it into the computer and see if anything popped up. And again, they were secretive. So they weren't releasing any of the footage, but they were releasing footage of people playing it. So so I got to watch all these videos of people freaking out and ripping their headset <laughs> off. And <then> I <laughs> You know, as I'm watching it and I could hear them talking, being like, who is this? You know, this person is this and a decapitated head. And I was like, oh, I re- that's me. I remember filming that. <laughs> so it was <laughs> it was exciting. But I was I was anxious to actually see the whole demo and the kitchen demo. The actual footage for that wasn't released until basically Resident Evil was released also. So I finally got to watch that footage at the same time that I was able to find stuff about the game itself.
4: All right, we're talking about notoriously secretive as Capcom is. James Marcus from Columbia even asked, Capcom are notoriously secretive when it comes to their voice actors and what they can publicly reveal whilst the game is still in development stages. So how far into auditioning process did you get before the revelation came to you that you were on the set of the latest Risen Evil installment?
0: (laughs) It was long after the auditioning process. (laughs) Auditioning process, I thought it was just going to be a fun little video game. And then about a year into actual filming and footage. was a long time. Yeah, we were about, I know, granted, on and off for two years is how long it took for my parts, And then the whole cast was brought in because we were going to start doing a lot of larger group things. And we were reading, we were doing a read through. And we all sat down. And as we we're reading through it, somebody at the table, one of the higher ups, let it slip and use the term umbrella corporation. And that's when we all kind of looked at each other. And we were like, why does that sound so familiar? Why why should we know that name? And uh, they kept going as if nothing was said. And right after that read, all of the non-disclosure agreements came out.
6: (laughs) That guy got fired. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely a surprise once the realization, and I think even up until it was released, there were still a handful of people who didn't 100% know that it was Resident Evil, but about a year in is when I think most of the actors found out. But yeah, and then we weren't weren't able to talk about anything. It was so difficult. (laughs) I mean, to find out you're gonna be part of such a huge franchise, and yeah. have to keep your mouth shut, especially if you are from my family. I'm the only actor. So they're always asking, like, so what are you doing? What are you working on? Oh, and,
3: and you'd want to dying to tell them. Of
0: course. Yeah. This was like, I'm in my 30s and I want to be like, mom, dad, I'm a real actor. Look what I'm doing. And I couldn't, (laughs) (laughs) I had to wait. I mean, I could tell him that I was working on a video game. I could tell him I was doing motion capture. I couldn't say the game. I couldn't say my character's names. I couldn't say Capcom, like none of that stuff. Mm. Um, And it couldn't go on your resume. All I could put was that I've done motion capture for video games. That's the most I could put on my resume. And I get it because it was, when it was released, it was such a huge surprise for people and it was so different mm. and it did return to the horror yeah. revival that was during filming they talked a lot about that how that I wanted to ask actually
3: it. yeah if that if that came up and if there was a, a palpable sense of, of tension almost with the developers knowing because it was a huge risk you know that the suggestion has constantly been that money isn't in that style that modern gamers younger gamers don't have the patience to play that We never really thought it was kind of almost an unrealistic pipe dream to expect that to happen. And so when it did, when it sold so well and it was so critically acclaimed and you guys did such a great job with the acting, such a momentous time as a Resident Evil fan, a brand new installment, but with that true survival horror style.
0: Right. And that was known. That was definitely known and thought about on set often. And not only that, but the fact that it was being made for VR. So there, there are two huge things oh, yeah. that Oof. the developers and the whole crew had to worry about and really keep in mind. Yeah. So it was bringing back the love of the old games with the modern technology of VR and how it's going to meld together. So I remember just We'd shoot it one way and then we'd shoot it another way. And then it was like, okay, what would work best for VR and what would work best for not VR? So there was a lot of, there was just a lot being thought about. And you can tell they care so much about, you know, the people who play this game. They, they really care about what they like, what they want, how they're going to be scared.
3: One thing in common that we do hear from the various artists that we interview is that they are rarely together and that they record separately in the booth. There's that commonality, but something that stands out with your interview that we haven't heard previously is actually that constant desire and that level of consideration that's gone into it to see which way works best.
0: And I think it pulls because they did that because you know they really cared about when the actors were together and everything. I, I think that resonates in it. Like you guys were saying, when you play the game, you are scared, you are freaking out when you think you're trying to hide. You know, all of those things were thought about so intensely during shooting. And to hear people actually say that it it worked, like it, it did what we wanted it to do, is one of the most exciting things to hear. <laughs>
2: Oh, thank God I found you. It's me. It's Ethan.
0: Ethan? Ethan? Are you all right? You shouldn't be here.
2: What do you mean? You contacted me.
0: No, no, I wouldn't. Did I? Did anyone see you? Did he see you?
2: Hey, who else is here? What the hell's going on?
0: Daddy's coming. We need to go. Daddy? We need to go now!
2: Where are you taking me?
0: Someplace safe.
2: Are you going to tell me what's going on? Baby, you've been gone three years.
0: Three years? Has it really been three years?
2: What? What is this place? What'd they do to you?
0: Not now. We need to get out of here first. I think it's this way.
2: Mia, we have to talk. That message you sent me.
0: Not me. That wasn't me.
2: But you did.
0: I didn't! I'm telling you everything that I know. We have to go this way. The family used to bring me food through here. I remember. There. It's there. I remember this room. There's another door here. I'm sure of it. It's not here. It's gone. It's gone! We're gonna be a family. Now
3: that you're here. Tyke215, he asks, the way you portrayed Mia when she was under control of Evelyn was no doubt the most frightening and terrifying part of the game for me. Where and how did you get your influence for portraying Mia in that state?
0: Oh, that's a fun one. Honestly, a lot of theater, my theater background, I think helped me most because when it comes to motion capture, it's surprising how much theater is involved because it's in the moment you're in the stage, you're having to create in your mind what your atmosphere is. And you have to be conscious of, you know, where the cameras are and the sensors are and all these things. So having done a lot of theater, I think really, really helped me, but also Within theater, I was always the first kid to not want to play the typical roles, you know, if there was something coming up and there was the pretty princess or the evil troll. I would fight to be able to audition for the evil troll. Like I didn't want to be the pretty princess. I really wanted to push myself. And in college, I did that. You know, I I was always the first one to try to do the goofy stuff, try to do the things where I was hunched over or crazy and got to do the makeup and the, the voice, anything that I could make my voice crazy for, I jumped at. So I think A lot of those things are what made me so comfortable when Mia came up, like when the audition happened, when they basically asked me, okay, if it's pitch black, how would you scare me? Like, that was one of the things in my audition. The director sat in a corner, I was in another corner, and he said, if it was pitch black right now, how would you scare me? And I just had to vocally do stuff.
3: I would really freeze in that situation.
0: (laughs) Wow. It was exciting because I do. I do the zombie noises. I do the creepy breathing we were talking about earlier. And I oh, love yeah. that stuff. It is so much fun.
5: <laughs> There's this voice actor. He's very well known. His name is Liam O'Brien. And he's known for doing psychopathic roles. He plays Gara and a bunch of other characters that are sociopaths. The voice of Itachi and, and Helsing. So he's one of my favorite voice actors because of how he portrays that psychopath in his voice. It's
0: so much fun to be able to do something like that. And the best is when people meet you in real life and they're like, wait you're the one doing that like that's a that's a great reaction when somebody kind of looks at you like wait no that that can't be you. yeah
3: <laughs> pretty insulting if they're not surprised at all exactly. oh yeah yeah well yeah we can see how you are that crazy
0: Mia. yeah
3: <laughs> uss command on the staff team at crimson head he's over in kentucky and he wants to know how fun was it to go from nice and caring to full-on psycho <laughs> and back again in mere moments
0: by far my most favorite thing I did in the game, going back and forth. Yeah, Yeah. anybody who's told that they're allowed to be sweet and psycho all at the same time, I I don't think they're going to have a problem with that, so... (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely my favorite favorite thing to do.
3: This voice from hell just comes out when you're playing Evil Mia.
0: Yeah, I think before this game, my husband was the only one who ever got to hear that voice, and it was (laughs) never a good thing, so... (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the same goes for sarah i mean you've seen pictures of her she's beautiful and she's such a goof and then you see this terrifying woman on the screen and you hear this voice when she when i first met her and i heard the voice she did i was like what is happening right now
3: (laughs) that's what works so well for the both of you that you both happen to have been in the into the horror genre in various ways
0: yeah Um, it's that much easier when you have a love for that genre because some people can definitely brush off horror it's always um, terrified me but I've loved it I'm the first one at Halloween it's like what are my 10 horror movies I'm going to do this year like through Halloween I'm always so excited for it and even more so now with makeup I watch it more for the effects that go into it and how they do things so it's having that build and then being able to put it all into a job which is yeah just beyond fun <laughs>
3: you're thrown in at the deep end as the player as well and you've got no idea where you are and what's happening and also the you know the motivations for this changing character the state of confusion adds to the fear
0: well that's just it i think it's it's the surprise you you know you think you're going in to save your sweet missing wife and then she turns on you and then she's back and then she turns on you so I, I like that surprise aspect. Although I was I was worried while shooting most of this because in my head, I'm thinking, no one is going to want to save Mia. No one's going to like her. She's <laughs> horrible. Like, all. Oh, well, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. The yeah. entire time I was shooting it, every time we did scenes where I'm chopping off his hand and then he's saving me and then he's supposed to choose, all I kept thinking, and I, I kept looking at everyone going, no one in their right mind is going to save Mia. She's a horrible, horrible human being.
3: <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, I'm sure I remember someone on this podcast now saying that they chose Zoe.
0: Zoe. (laughs)
6: That was USS Command.
0: I'm not surprised. I would have chosen Zoe too.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There we go. You're forgiven USS Command. I think that's the reason why we kept him off the podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I totally get it. Although, you know, you don't get a happy ending, but...
3: (laughs) Uh, Well, it's not too late. We'll see if he's online and we can quickly call him up and we can apologize for keeping him off. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, imagine you must be worrying whether she's going to come across as a likeable
1: character.
0: I was very, very worried about that. It was out of my hands, but I was definitely worried because I was just thinking, what about her is making her likable? Like, why would you want to save her? And I was trying to give things to the performance. So you still saw that there was human in there, but it's tough. It's tough after you're chopping, supposedly your loved one's body parts off.
5: Ethan (laughs) had had unconditional love for you. So of course he was going to try and save you.
0: Ethan, good on you, man.
5: (laughs) (laughs) See, I've said this before,
3: David, you're a romantic. That's the romantic.
0: (laughs) I'm telling you, like, I showed my husband this game just so I can be like, so you did this, right? You'd come find me, right?
6: (laughs) (laughs) If you do choose Zoe, it all goes bad very, very quickly.
0: See, (laughs) you learn your lesson.
6: I didn't really see a choice. It was like, well, I'm going to save my wife, who I've been married for years, or this girl I've known 24 hours. I mean, come on.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's sweet of you. (laughs) I did kind of feel bad for Zoe, though. Yeah. She got the shaft, definitely.
3: Yeah. (laughs) She did, yeah. I
4: honestly thought there would be a whole part of the story for her when you picked her. I'm like, oh, I'm going to
0: continue the story. Let's see what happens. Oh. There's so much more involved to it than just the game now.
6: And there's another further DLC coming at the end of the year. So there's still two two more DLCs for this game to come out yet. (laughs) Maybe there's something you're not telling us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My lips are sealed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: This is from Nemesis all the way over in Brazil. Awesome guest. Can't wait to hear all that Katie O'Hagan has to say. Could Katie please explain what was the most challenging part of the character? And given the chance, would she change anything about her delivery?
0: Oh my goodness. The most challenging part. I actually, the character itself, I don't think I found a to be overtly challenging because I really felt like I was a part of her. I think the more challenging stuff was more on the technical side, dealing with so many different people and their visions and views for what they wanted and trying to marry everything together to make it ideal for the character and ideal for the game so i think you know having a group from japan having a group from new york la all these different people with all their different views and all of us having to come up and create that perfect image or perfect being for this role was probably the most challenging
6: part <laughs> uh, in mocap i noticed that every time they finish a the scene they've got to end with the pose that must get annoying <laughs>
0: that you got used to I think it was more before that when we'd be shooting a scene and you had to create a loop so you would start walking and they're like okay when you're done with the scene you walk and take two steps but then you got to make sure to freeze and so when you're in the middle of a fight scene or when you're like going really crazy and you're really getting into it and then all of a sudden you have to remember to take the two steps and freeze <laughs> that took me a while to get used to I definitely uh I learned a lot about my body Doing motion capture, how to open yourself up and being aware of your body. Cause in acting, like when you're in front of a camera, it's like all about the emotion and go crazy with it. But with motion capture, you have to be aware of the cameras and the, make sure all the sensors are getting picked up. And are you opening up enough to the camera? Are you doing everything too small? So you just had to be so much more aware of everything mm-hmm. on top of your voice, your acting. There were so many layers to it that I did not know about until I started doing it.
3: It must be hugely challenging because although it's giving you an opportunity to connect with the character on a deeper level, but at the same time with with certain scenes, it's going to throw you off balance. Your focus, if you're voicing a particular line, but at the same time, the the motion capture in itself is quite challenging.
0: One of the more difficult things was when with some of the more emotional scenes when yeah. you would really get into it. you I would have the emotion, I'd feel so good about like what we portrayed and then you hear that one of the sensors popped off and it was, (laughs) or you'd find out, you know, just something about it happened and you'd have to redo it. That was really hard. The acting was there the motion was there and then something just didn't pick up or something got in the way and blocked one of the sensors. Like there are just all these little things you had to be aware of. You had to learn a lot of patience. Here we go, let's get back in the mindset. Go back and let's do it again. <laughs>
6: yeah, that must be really frustrating if you just did an Oscar worthy scene and then they tell you, oh, yeah, <laughs> one of the little blips was off.
0: I don't know if I could say Oscar worthy, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd say out of all of them, the scene where I'm bashing my head against the wall, that was one of the hardest scenes for me to do because she went from crazy to normal. She was fighting, she had to bash herself against the wall. And I really was bashing myself against padding on a wall but the problem was still had to do it hard enough for it to be real but not too hard where i hurt myself but still still deliver the lines okay and then on top of all of that i still had to knock myself out and fall down and the first time we did it i bashed myself too hard and my mic pack went flying and cracked me in the face
3: that's dedication to the role there
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> Let's move her mic pack to the front of her chest, or let's move it this way. Like, we had to redo quite a few things because we're like, oh, this is getting more physical than we thought it would.
3: Oh, my words.
0: (laughs) I can hear her. I can feel her clawing her way back inside of me. Get out! Leave me alone!
4: I've been bad. I deserve this. the fuck are you mia
0: that's what brought the characters to life i think if it was just voice acting i don't think you would have gotten as much but because there was the motion capture because i was physically doing these things and linking the voice up with it i think that's why everything became so believable because I really did yeah. go through it. I really was throwing people yeah. around and grabbing chainsaws. You <laughs> really
3: <laughs> were smashing your head against the wall. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Theater, theater helps, helps me with all of that. I think if I didn't have that theater background, it would have been much more difficult to know my space, because you had such a large space to work in. And you were definitely told, okay, this is a wall, so you can't pass here, there's going to be a table here. So you knew certain things, but still, there was a lot of room to work with. Mm -hmm. You got to have fun, you know, you you knew your goal, but then you got to kind of go crazy with it. So... Mm -hmm.
6: (laughs) I think the more-cap aspect, given the the voice acting, a lot more serious. The likes of you got Kevin Spacey in the Call of Duty games is becoming like a really being taken a lot more seriously than they used to, which is well, nice. It's serious, yes, yeah, yeah. professional. Yeah. yeah, which which, which I
0: did. think is fantastic because it is so challenging. And not only that, I realized as motion capture actor how much more you have to do because for the sensors to pick up some things, you do have to do things ever so slightly larger. But it still has to be believable. You know, watching Planet of the Apes now with how they're doing it, I have so much more respect because I've done just such a tiny little bit of what they have been doing Mm. i mean lord of the rings with Gollum. like you just look at these things and realize that was a human that created that and it's just so fantastic yeah yeah. and i love that it's now being brought to the forefront of like no this is legit acting too this is huge Mm. this is a whole new realm in the acting world
3: yeah and that's a good example the planet of the apes i think that's something that's really taking the mocap on as being part of the whole performance
4: all right m greg and he says what was your favorite scene or dialogue to record both as Mia while she was sane and
0: infected? Ooh, I love this question. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> this question makes me so happy. So much to choose from. Okay, for sane Mia, I think my favorite scene was definitely her hiding under the house and Marguerite finding her and dragging her away. Shooting it was so much fun. I ended up breaking one of the cameras during like our little mini <laughs> fight under the house. <laughs> oh, my God.
3: They must have billed you at the end, Capcom. You must have almost owed them money. Oh, my God. The amount of I... equipment that you've gone through. You
0: don't even understand. I felt so terrible luckily the camera wasn't broken it was just the arm that attached the camera to the headset but (laughs) i was like mortified i thought for sure i was like i'm fired i'm (laughs) like they're not gonna let me finish the game i felt terrible (laughs) but yeah right when like she catches me and i flip around and go to kicker that's when my knee came back and one of the little sensors caught the thing so when i kicked forward it just yanked the whole thing
3: off (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so
0: that was terrifying but that one was definitely fun yeah,
3: that's a great scene um,
0: that was cool because cool. they actually you know trying to figure out how to have marguerite drag me and coming up with all these fun little see the secrets of mocap what you can't see what's okay. <laughs> not attached yeah. to a sensor so that one was really really fun and sarah is the blast to work with we just yeah. we had so much fun together Ethan, if you find this i know i can't expect anything from you not after what happened
5: <laughs> ah, I am sick and tired, sick and tired of your bullshit.
0: I need to hide. I need to hide. Why are you
5: putting me through this? What have I done to deserve this except open my home and feed you? This house has seen more than you can imagine, You! You! All you have to do is accept her fucking gift!
2: No, 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 no! You don't fucking try to take your share of the blame! There's no way out of there, Missy!
5: Where do you think you're
4: going?
0: And then, as crazy or infected, Neo will call her the screwdriver chainsaw.
6: <laughs> <By laughs> <far>, Obviously,
0: <laughs> by far my favorite scene. Um, Todd, who plays Ethan, uh, again. Phenomenal guy, uh, great actor, so sweet, really down to earth guy. And so, like, when we got to shoot these things, he's much taller than me. And (laughs) Just basically, like, this poor guy is just being attacked by this little girl. They Like, me just running at him. And it's like, okay, chainsaw time. Screwdriver time. I'm going to chop you to bits. (laughs) Let's see what I get to do today.
5: I like it when you decide to save the daughter and then you're playing as me. I was like, did you have fun with that bitch?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The lines were definitely fun. And that's when I realized video games have changed so much. When I saw the script and the the, (laughs) the swearing and things, I was like... This is video games now! Oh my goodness!
5: <laughs> oh, Marguerite is the one that has the has set yeah. the worst mouth in all of Resident Evil history. Marguerite is the
0: one. Uh, yeah.
5: <laughs> A long way from Disney.
0: <laughs> What's so great is the screwdriver, it was just like something little I used, but the chainsaw, they actually had a chainsaw with the sensors on it. So I actually was like oh. dragging a chainsaw and I actually got to play with the chainsaw.
5: Oh, wow. So
0: that was really fun. I definitely took pictures of that. <laughs> Came home with me.
5: <laughs> this question is from Vito from Mexico. He asks, what did you love, but also what did you hate about voicing Mia Winters?
0: I think... What I loved was the switching, the, the going from sweet to crazy. I, I love the scenes where I literally got to start off normal and then go psycho were so much fun. And I think part of that's because I got to see the crew's reaction while I was doing that. So I would do these things and all of a sudden that crazy demonic voice would come out and you could see some of the camera guys, like their mouths just kind of drop, like, where did that just come from? Getting that reaction was definitely fun, but at the same time, what I hated probably was the toll that it took on my voice. Four-hour recording sessions of all possessed Mia definitely lost my voice after a few of those. (laughs) (laughs) That was challenging, but still really fun. I mean, I I wouldn't change it to the world. I had such an incredible time doing it. Like, I really wouldn't change anything about it.
6: Okay, this is from me, PSA Arkley, from Wales. I was impressed with this question because it shows you've done your research. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. First of all, I can't help but notice that your IMDb states that you grew up in Crystal Lake, which is the location for the Friday the 13th movies. <laughs> I was just wondering. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, that was. Uh,
3: oh, that's my fault. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've sorry, got like I a two part. Uh, that second part makes no connection. <laughs>
6: just and
3: says, yeah, you've just melded you my
6: questions record- into one. <laughs> Where's the rest of my question
3: (laughs) so I think isn't your question just how cool is that is that not the question okay (laughs) no no (laughs) no but it's like a cool observation no
6: I thought it was more to that
3: what else did you ask so
6: you're from Crystal Lake how cool is that (laughs)
3: <laughs> no, no, no! Like, how cool is the fact that you're from you're from a place that? <laughs> how cool I is that? Was, like, oh! I thought
0: that was your. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness!
5: Yeah, it <laughs> is
0: very cool. <laughs> it is always yeah. always a conversation <laughs> starter. <laughs>
3: i've seen friday the 13th but i'm not a big fan but i I mean is that quite commonly known
0: most people every once in a while somebody won't think anything of it but for the most part as soon as i say crystal lake they kind of look at me and they're like jason voorhees i was like yep (laughs) i went to camp crystal lake i swam in crystal lake i did all of it and i survived so did jason see you did he ask you on a date not yet still waiting (laughs) There are quite a few crystal lakes around the states, and I, I believe the one in the movies is on the east coast, technically. But my Midwest one, I'm still proud of. So,
6: <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, New Jersey, but it's called Camp Noby Bosco. So,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
6: <laughs> do you recall any dialogue recorded that did not make the final cut?
0: Not so much that didn't. I think more kind of the opposite. I think I did a lot of extra dialogue especially in the booth that ended up I saw like in some of the DLCs that came out or or just little bits that came out later that I wasn't 100% aware of and all of a sudden I'm hearing my voice and I was like oh that's why we recorded those lines. (laughs) (laughs) So there were definitely those, those extra lines during ADR sessions that we would do that didn't fit what we had already recorded so i was kind of intrigued to know okay i wonder where these are gonna go and then once dlc came out where you know i think there's one where you actually play as mia and i saw that and i was like oh there, that makes sense now <laughs> how did you get here where's Evie? He? she's out of control without the treatments she's deteriorating
4: well it's a good thing we're already dying
0: <coughs> Don't say that.
3: She trusts you. That little bitch, she never trusts. Okay. Wait.
0: Evie, no, Evie, Evie. Ellen, listen. I didn't mean to call you that. She's Evie, trying to, to take control. You have to fight her. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Evelyn, stop! Stop right
1: now!
0: Stop touching me, don't. Yeah, your first step is getting in the door. Once you get that foot in the door, it is, it's owning the role. It's throwing yourself into the role. It's, it's making sure you've done your homework. Everything's ready to go. For me, when I get a role that I really feel passionate about or I really love, I do all of those little things and I get in that door and I just say, I don't care how I look. I don't care what's going to happen. I'm just going to, do this i'm going to be <laughs> so yeah it can be challenging you yeah. you have to be ready for a lot of rejection that's something i learned from a young age just even with theater it's you know having horrible auditions and crying and hating it and just going Okay, another one's up. Let's go to this one. And uh, I think it might have been more difficult on my parents than it was on me. I was like, nope, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do this. But my parents had to witness, you know, the kid crying when she didn't do well or, you know, upset if she didn't get a role. So I I definitely thank my parents for being so patient because they're not in the entertainment industry. This isn't a part of their lives. So them being okay with me basically being a, (laughs) a starving artist props to (laughs) them
3: you talk about that confidence the challenge being that you take that confidence to each audition irrespective of how the previous one has gone yeah
0: you need to like you just have to like wipe the slate clear and go on to the next one and get on to the next one because everyone is different I mean I just went to one recently and I walked in and the next thing I know it's a dance audition I am not a dancer so (laughs) I definitely. No, you,
3: you do crawling up the steps with this insidious breathing, but you, you don't do sweet dancing.
0: Yeah, I was like, you want me to do a backbend and crawl around and scare people? Sure, let's do it. But <laughs> not so much doing a Charleston. So
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's that. That's scarier, if you ask me.
0: <laughs> when I do it, it is yes. <laughs>
3: Oracle Dragon, she asks, were there any funny moments during recording?
0: I think the funniest moments were just translation issues.
3: <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, that's often what we're asked is whether you have that presence of the Japanese developers in the room with you or members of Capcom Japan there.
0: Yeah, there were. Every time we did stuff, there were members of Capcom and they had their translation team. And then, like I said, uh, Naveed was our director from New York who came in. And then you also had the L.A. crew. So it was a little bit of everybody. And it was, you know, working on a scene. And then everything stopped. And the Japanese would let us know what they thought. And then we'd have to kind of sit there and wait for the translation. And then hope that we totally understood. And then do it again. And you kind of hoped, okay, hopefully this is what they wanted this time. So there were a couple of times that we had to do it a few times. Because it wasn't quite on the same wavelength. But ultimately we got through it. It was always exciting when Capcom, the animators who were there, when they wouldn't say something and they just give the two thumbs up, you were like, yes, we did it! <laughs> it it's exactly what they wanted, smile and two thumbs up. So we, always, we were always looking for that.
6: <laughs> this is from Alan Mao, and he's asking, can you relate to either aspect of the Mia Winters character on any level?
0: I think on both levels, as strange as that might sound. I think to be able... Yeah, I was a bit worried how you would... This. <laughs> well, I think to be able to portray her, you, you have to somewhat relate on multiple levels. So... On her crazy side, I mean, I think everyone's got a little bit of crazy in them. It's not going to be very fun if you don't have a little crazy in you. So <laughs> I think just that when she's crazy, that fight in her, I definitely feel like I related to that, that fight to to try to stay sane and to try to do what was right. I think that was something huge that I loved about her. As much as she loved Ethan, she she just kept trying to fight to be able to protect him no matter what. So oh having that and i am married I, I actually have my 10 year wedding anniversary coming up so having that like yeah. just that pure love for someone um i could definitely relate to that uh, and then i think on on a sillier note i love power tools so
3: <laughs> 10 year anniversary to power tools yeah that was a shit yeah,
0: that- I mean, the, the sweetness of her. Yeah, more on the silly side. I I am the first one who loves to do, like, stuff around the house. I, I am always the first one to be like, all right, grab me the screwdriver, grab me the power drill. Like, I got to get a saw. I, for whatever reason, I've always loved it, So
3: Well, I reckon that might be your Irish heritage because whenever there's a problem in our household, my son, who on his mother's <laughs> side is Irish, it's him that has to get out the screwdriver. And um, the other day, a neighbor of mine just said to me, oh, can you just thank Jacob for sorting out my drainage pipe? I was like,
2: what?
0: Oh, okay. That's fantastic. Uh, I 100% grew up in a household where if you didn't have to call in somebody to fix it, you didn't. My dad was always attempting to do it on his own, and my brothers all got that from him, and I didn't get as much. Like, I'm impressed with what they can do. I can do basic stuff. I would love to be able to do more, but I'm very happy with, I know how to use a level. I can use power tools, like... (laughs)
6: I think that's like the masculine way, though. The, the men try to fix it until they just screw it up too bad, and then we'll phone someone.
0: <laughs> when there's duct tape <laughs> surrounding everything, it's time to call in a professional. <laughs>
6: oh. The fear merchant from Ireland, he's asking, if given the opportunity, would you like to play Mia Winters in a live-action adaption of Resident Evil 7?
0: Of course. Oh, my goodness.
6: <laughs> I imagine you must already feel like you've done that. <laughs>
0: That's a dream, to, to be able to continue a character in different forms. I would love it. And not only that, talk about the action and getting into shape and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be so nice.
3: <laughs> well, they're rebooting the movies after the least said about the movies, the better as far as I'm, I'm concerned. And that's actually why, on a serious note, I do like to showcase and highlight the voice actors as the official representation of these characters.
0: When they did the movies, it seemed like, like this game. They created a whole new cast of characters, and it was within somewhat of the world, but they yeah. created a new thing, so they weren't comparable, which I think is kind of smart to do in a way. It, it, they're two very different mm-hmm. entities. But with that being said, it'd kind of be cool now that they've already done that. Now, if they were to reboot, like, yes. actually follow the video games, would be kind yes. of... I
5: mean, that's yes, yes, the... that's what we all want.
0: You <laughs> <laughs> <I> have no <laughs> idea
4: how
5: many people
4: I had to correct because of those movies. No, that's not canon. <laughs> this is canon. No, no, no. Just ignore those. <laughs> Look at this. All right, the next question comes from Vito, and he says, what was your favorite character other than Mia?
0: Oh, there are so many to choose from. Um... Character or characters? <laughs> Character I, or characters. I know. I love the Baker family. Like uh, Marguerite was so much fun because I just love Sarah's voice. It was so yeah. creepy. It was so fantastic. So I I loved working with her. But at the same time, Paula, who plays Evelyn. She is just this, like, amazing woman who does a ton of voiceover stuff. She is, she's like, she is the cutest, like, smallest thing. And then that creepy kid voice comes out of her, and it's yeah. just terrifying.
3: Lisa Jai was a child actress to play Sherry in Resident Evil 2. She was very young. So I was surprised when I saw the age of the actress that portrayed Evelyn. But
0: I think the reason it works so well is playing the game. You see yeah. that Evelyn is, she's not just a child, so I think if you only had a child doing that role, you might've missed out on what Paula was able mm. to bring to it. Being a grown woman and being able to give that creepiness. She just was so phenomenal and her creepy little laugh. I mean, I'm standing in front of her doing <laughs> stuff and she's giving me that creepy little kid laugh. Oh, it was- <laughs> so terrifying
3: you almost make your skin cool.
0: especially when she's talking about like she wants you to be her mommy and it's like <laughs>
3: <laughs> can we be a family again we were oh. never
0: a family a hundred percent
3: you can hear the anger in, in your voice when you say that to her and I remember playing the game and actually starting to worry for Mia thinking, yeah you wanna just be a little bit careful you, yeah, wanna, you really should be nice to this girl. <laughs> yeah <Nice>. yeah. <laughs> I thought
0: they were gonna kill me off right then and there.
5: <laughs> yeah, will <Yeah. laughs> fury yeah. like a woman
0: scorned like a child yeah. scorned. Yeah. <laughs> now do you remember? Yes, Evelyn. I remember. Can we be a family like before? No, Evie. We can't be a family. We were never a family. We will never be a family.
4: Then I don't need you anymore. <laughs> all right, this question comes from Ray Redfield. Ray Redfield asks Will you be acting again for Resident Evil series? Because I seriously was enticed by your brilliant performance in this role. Well,
0: thank you. On my end, all I can do is hope that they would want me back. I, of course, would love to continue to be a part of it. I I beyond loved this character and the depth she went into. And I I could only hope she does more and they do more with her. So, yeah, if if they ever came to me and said, we're bringing her back or we're doing something else, of course, I would I would jump at the opportunity. 100%.
3: if they were going to go back to the survival horror it was almost as if this would now be another trilogy of games so whereas in the past you had resident evil 1 2 and 3 right all of a similar style all with recurring characters the presumption was with the change of style for resident evil 7 back again to survival horror there might be another trilogy of resident evil 7 8 and 9 in that similar style and again having recurring characters
0: I would definitely love it, but at the same time, all you can do is kind of sit and wait (laughs) for them.
6: (laughs) Rebooting the story a little bit, but it's still in the same universe. So hopefully they're going to move forward now with this new cast of characters. There's a good chance that we will see Mia and Ethan again.
0: Once the game came out, I was just happy I wasn't killed off. So I was like, oh, there's always a chance. (laughs) Yeah, if you're killed off, you're kind of like, all right, there goes that. Still alive, so there's always a chance.
6: (laughs) We've had a guy in this series being paled by a giant claw, and he's came back, so. <laughs>
0: Hopefully. <laughs> oh.
4: Oh,
3: Mia. Mia, how?
0: There's no time. You have to get out of here and find her. Here, take this.
3: What? wait, wait what are you doing?
0: What are you doing? Saving your life. You need to go. I won't be able to resist for much longer. No. Now go kill that little bitch.
6: No. No.
0: Mia. No.
3: And what's quite funny about the next question coming up is that when it came in, I remember thinking that it just was completely out the blue and left field. <laughs> but you've kind of already—you've <laughs> already answered it in your own private life. <laughs> Are you good at using power tools in real life? (laughs) Like, say, for example, a chainsaw?
0: (laughs) So (laughs) I'm pretty good with power tools, usually smaller ones. I stay away from chainsaws, but axes, hatchets, those I'll use. I'll do smaller hand saws. Years ago, I did Habitat for Humanity, where we went and helped like rebuild houses. And I think that's a big part of where some of my love, like drywalling and roofing and siding. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I can do this stuff.
3: Wow, so you must have been really impressed and sort of excited when you saw that they really played a prominent part in Mia's world, the, I thought it know, was... the screwdrivers. and
0: I don't quite use them the way Mia did. But...
3: <laughs> I hope not. <laughs>
0: It was definitely fun. Because it's also the idea of like what weapons are they gonna come up with? You know, it's not just guns and knives and things anymore. Now it's like, no, it's a screwdriver. We can make a screwdriver or a weapon. So
6: I love that question from you. The first time I read it, I was hoping to God that the next question would be, Are you any good with power tools? If so, can you come around and fix my floor? From York again, if you were put in Ethan's position, would you try to save your significant other or cut your losses and go back home?
0: Oh, this <laughs> this one makes me feel like a horrible human being, though. <laughs> I feel like I would, like Ethan did, you get the call, he'd go to where it came from. Like, I feel like I would still do all of that. But I have a sneaking suspicion that once things started getting a little crazy, I'd be like, all right, I'm out. This No, no, this is not okay. <laughs> not only that but the wife in me would be really mad like at my husband how did you get yourself into this really you screwed up again come on enough's enough
3: we're still in the
5: apocalyptic world over to you, david yeah the question is from ellen one came out. what is the first thing you will do in a post-apocalyptic world
4: i think we know what she would do in the first thing <laughs>
0: kill everybody
6: <laughs> We to end on a positive note we're all gonna die <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can't help but laugh. There's so many things. <laughs> we got you all wrong. <laughs> It really is. I'm like bright red with tears running down my face just laughing.
3: <laughs> you see, I think Adam, when he asked this question, was taking it very, very seriously.
0: I know, which I feel terrible because all I can do is chuckle right now. Um, post-apocalyptic world. The first thing I would do is regret not paying attention more to like, <laughs> like how to grow things and you know how, how to create energy without gasoline. And electricity, like all these things that the doomsday preppers do that we make fun of.
3: Yeah, right? that now suddenly, yeah, it's going to be Like
0: now I need yeah. to go find them, make friends.
3: <laughs> <laughs> make friends with so, nerds very quickly.
0: Yeah. I would grab a bag, just fill it with as much stuff as possible. Screw money because you're not going to need that anymore. I'd be getting things I think people will actually want. <laughs> And definitely find a weapon of choice. There we go. That's when the weapon of choice comes in.
5: Yes. <laughs> Look for gamers that know about zombies to help you out in the post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> Make friends with nerds very quickly.
0: Uh, yes. It's always that worry of what kind of zombie. Because think about it, in our lifetime, there have been many different types of zombies. Chris
5: and head zombies.
0: You got to worry about the slow, dumb ones, or are they the crazy, fast ones? <laughs> there's, there's too much to think about.
3: That was what was so tense about the gameplay in Resident Evil 7. The movement of the infected, the molded, they were quite deceptive in that they didn't look like they had particular speed, but they kind of would move towards you very, very quickly and quite randomly as well, you know, swinging with their appendages. So
0: big, you thought, okay, this will be easy. And then you realise, nope, here they come.
3: (laughs) Definitely, yeah, and you get a completely false sense of security. So this question
5: comes from Adam Pai Mao, and it asks, "What is your favorite hobby?"
0: Hobbies, I have many, but probably my effects makeup is my greatest hobby currently. Uh, I'm trying to turn it into more of a hobby, but <laughs> for me, my my acting is first and foremost, and then my effects makeup comes second. But that's kind of where I put a lot of my time and energy into for that.
3: On that subject of the SFX makeup, Morpheus Duval, he wanted to know how you became, first of all, interested and then so adapt at the SFX makeup.
0: The interest actually grew from my family. I come from a very competitive family and Halloween is like a huge time of year for us. So growing up, I'm one of six kids. So growing up Halloween, Ah. it was always about like my parents making costumes for us. Halloween can get expensive. So my parents were amazing at just creating costumes for us every year. So it started there. And then once I got into theater and saw more about makeup, and then I kind of melded theater and Halloween together. And every year for Halloween, I kind of gave myself... It sounds like you made it quite competitive. It, it very much so is every Halloween my family sends pictures to each other cuz now everybody's grown up I have nieces and nephews so now all my siblings and my parents will send pictures to each other of like this is what our costume is this yeah. is. and they are- What are you going? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's gotten ridiculously epic ever since little ones have come into the picture. So <laughs> far I think Myself and my husband are pretty high up there and my sister she's pretty good too so (laughs) there's always an interest every year to see um, who can top the other person And, and my husband is such a good sport about it I give him like a break every other year from the craziness that is my makeup.
3: Maybe he has to be a good sport with some of the stuff that you're gonna be putting on top of him. Oh my
0: goodness, he's six nine. So like, we did Frankenstein one year, and he was so good about like me <laughs> painting his face and putting on these ridiculous jackets. I mean, the poor boy was sweating his head off. He's very good about it, and so Halloween is really what pushed me to keep doing more. So every year, I push myself to do something a little bit more grand. I just want to keep learning. So it's all about
5: learning. <laughs> I have costumes planned for like 10 years down the line. A couple of years ago, I got dressed as this character from Naruto Itachi and I did a manicure and everything, a pedicure. Cause he has, yeah, he has, he has his nails black. I even wore a wig, like his hair, and I had the eyes, the context that he has in his eyes and everything. So
3: That's a strange image, David. Can me imagine you
5: getting a pedicure? Not just a pedicure, I also got a manicure. I made sure that my nails, since Itachi's character is nails black. Do they do pedicures in Texas? Yeah, yeah they do. I just feel sorry for poor Katie's
3: husband (laughs) who's like a canvas for all her crazy (laughs) stuff
0: but he he does and I give him a year off we did Curious George one year and I got to be the monkey and so he just had to be the man in the yellow hat like he got he got that year off off.
3: (laughs) (laughs) oh but then the following year you had something really serious of
0: course and this year he's already agreed to my ridiculousness so I'm kind of excited I'm making him a face piece prosthetic so it should be fun
3: (laughs) and I saw that you took that to a professional level because you're credited as special makeup effects artist and special effects makeup for the film Alone in the Dead of Night.
0: Yeah, it was for a friend. Most of the effects makeup stuff I've done thus far has been for friends all on a smaller level because I'm also an actor. I find it's very important that I don't agree to something beyond my means. So I'm very um, choosy when it comes to the effects makeup that I do and agree to people who will ask me to do stuff. And sometimes I'll turn it down just because I'm like, I I know there's somebody out there who could probably really bring it up to the level that they need. So I I make sure I stay within my wheelhouse. Mm
3: Katie, after spending over three hours with us generously and candidly sharing your experience, bringing to life the extraordinary character of Mia Winters uh, that you did with such strength and enthusiasm, it now only remains for me and the rest of the Crimson Head team to thank you so very much.
0: I mean, the same goes on our end. It's so fantastic to meet people who enjoy the work that's why i got into this work was to entertain to give people a break from their lives to have some fun so the fact that it works makes me very happy
3: (laughs) oh thank you thank you so much
0: absolutely it was wonderful meeting you guys and thank you so much for wanting to do this it was awesome
6: It was awesome for us as well. I had a great time talking with you and um, I got a great insight into the background of the game and everything. That was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time on your day off and I hope you had fun talking to us.
0: Oh, absolutely.
6: (laughs) (laughs) So much fun having you,
0: Miss
5: O'Hagan. And I really, really enjoyed every single moment with you and it's a blessing to have you in this podcast.
0: Thank you guys again. (laughs)
6: Two and a half hours of editing, GT. Sucks to be Uh, you. Sucks to be you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully there wasn't too much giggling and laughing.
3: (laughs) It always helps when we've got an artist that can deal with Andrew's Welsh accent. So I think with
6: your Irish Ah, <laughs> oh, here we go. No. <laughs> oh, we start with it and we end with it every time. <laughs>
4: Well, you gotta admit, there was one question you asked before and nobody could understand it. (laughs) Then you had to repeat it slowly.
6: My accent is that type of accent that when I talk slow, it sounds even worse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got family in Belfast. Your accent is nothing.
6: We better let you go, Katie. Thank
3: you so much.
0: Thank you again. Have a wonderful rest of your day, guys.
3: Mia,
2: thank God I found you. It's me. It's Ethan.
6: Ethan? Ethan?
2: today we
0: escape we
1: escape
6: are you all right
0: you shouldn't be here
6: what
3: do
2: you mean you contacted me
0: no no i wouldn't Mm. did i did anyone see you did he see you Today,
1: we escape. We escape.
0: Daddy's coming. We need to go. Daddy? We need to go now!
3: Mia, we have to talk. That message you sent me.
0: Not me. That wasn't me.
3: But you did.
0: I didn't! I'm telling you everything that I know. We have to go this way. The family used to bring me food through here. I remember. There's another door here. I'm sure of it. It's not here. It's gone. It's gone! I can hear her. I can feel her clawing her way back inside of me. Get
4: out! Leave me alone! I'm gonna... I deserve this.
1: Today we escape we escape
0: you to know that wasn't me i don't i don't know what happened there's so much that you need to know you have to get out of here and find her take this what are you doing saving your life you need to go i won't be able to resist for much longer now go kill that little bitch
1: We're scared. We're scared.
3: You're now with some of the Crimson Head Elder team. You can follow us on Twitter at Crimson underscore Head become a resident of the website if you love survival horror and Resident Evil at www.crimson-head that's crimson-head.com and of course subscribe to us on YouTube where you have all our podcasts and our file readings where the various actors from Resident Evil reprise their roles and read some of their fantastic files from the games you can find us on YouTube at Resident
6: Evil Podcasts
3: so with us today we've got BSA Art
6: Hi, I'm just here to bash Kobayashi
3: <laughs> and sing the praises of Resident Evil 5 as well.
6: Yeah, of course, as always.
3: <laughs> on that subject of Resident Evil 5 and praise, uh, he's completely schooled me in the forum, So go over there if you want to see me completely annihilated. Those who do support survival horror, please back me up. But for the meantime, USS commands.
1: Howdy, bring it on. We're you know mate for the grounder. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's fantastic when we can get new members of the site joining us for the podcast. You know, it's an open invitation to debate with us and even join us when we have some of the developers, the composers and the actors of Resident Evil. Then absolutely. I'm really pleased to have him here. We've got Sonny Barr.
2: Hello, everybody. Great to be here. Thanks for welcoming me.
3: So, Resident Evil news, and we'll start with sites news. There really is no other place to start than with our publication of never-before-seen original concept art from the first Resident Evil game. Capcom scenario artists who conceived and drew, for the first time, the sketches and designs for Resident Evil's legendary enemies, that iconic Stars team, and of course, the wonderfully memorable rooms of the Spencer Mansion. There'll be areas that fans of the game recognise immediately, and there are also areas that were cut from the final game, including some outside buildings, swamp areas. The extraordinary concept art from this genre-defining game by Capcom's artists Nakayama-san, Arimitsu-san, Kuwahata-san, and of course Isao Oishi, is on display publicly for the first time never before published in any guide or art book, but now exclusively presented at our site, Crimson Head Elder. I won't give away too many secrets. Head over to our rarity section, of course, and you'll be able to enjoy that concept art there and then give us your feedback in our community forum. That's at www.crimson-head.com. We have some updates in our translation section. The Samurai Edge AWM01 Airsoft Pistol Manual. One of our newest residents, Sunny Bar, has provided us with scans that Newsbot from Project Umbrella has very kindly translated and this exclusive translation is available at both sites, Crimson Head Elder and Project Umbrella.net. The English translations have thrown up some really interesting points.
2: You know, any time with the Samurai Edge uh, translation, I, I had not noticed that it would have been
6: of uh, significance to the lore. I didn't realize how how much it actually provided. So the background information we get on Chris, which is like him lamenting like his life and how it could have been different had you know him been involved in the, the whole umbrella saga. I thought that was a nice touch. It was like um, showed a bit more to his character. Yeah, he also touches upon his time in Idonia as well, and had his uh, injury been more severe, if he would have like uh, remained a alcoholic and stuff like that, that was just like great character development. It was nicely incorporated a reason behind the Samurai Edge in that Wesker was creating anti-BOW weapons so he could remain one step ahead of his rivals. However, uh, again, establishing a dead character further is just completely pointless to me. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's a good point. It's not the first time, though, is it, that airsoft guns have provided kind of significant information?
6: Oh, yeah,
1: there's the Umbrella Magnum. There's the Essential 9, I think it was called. It's in Vendetta. It's a handgun Leon uses in Vendetta. It was supposed to be in Resident Evil 6, but they cut it out. The uh, entire backstory for the Samurai Edge in general, I think, came from Barry's Samurai Edge airsoft gun. And then there's a website called Yuri Customs airsoft storylines
2: for the Resident Evil guns that they sell on that site. I was just surprised how much lore was attached to it—backstory with Chris, backstory with you know Wesker, and and I guess uh, his discussions with Joseph Kendo about his specialized samurai edge of what he wanted specifically. It's like a, like he wanted a silencer, I think, because he had uh, covert operations or something like that. But yeah. The only thing that I found uh, a little odd about the translation was that it says June 1998 as opposed to July, and June's a month before the Mansion incident.
3: I think that's another one of those cases where there's just been just literally a clerical error. At the end of Resident Evil Seven, when you've got the high on Chris Redfield, and then you see the blue umbrella logo, and everyone's asking questions and throwing their arms up in the air, pulling their hair out, "What's going on?" But then nothing was really explained, was it, until this airsoft gun translation popped up,
2: which is kind of sad when you think about it. I feel like it's kind of like a lot of um, franchises or sagas, like you know, suffer from this now. The Newest form of this is like the Star Wars, like whole reboot. They've got books and comics and movies all telling the same story, but they're all pieces of one another. I don't understand. Just explain it.
1: Well, I mean, Resident Evil has always done this.
2: Yeah, but they you know always I... had files in the game, though, too, that really, really explained. As you were going through the game, you know, with your experience, like the files, you know, were the, the on-paper explanations that you needed. There were some supplemental materials, but you, would, you got a sense of where you were, what was going on. As you were going through
3: major plot points are being answered in the files. I enjoy it when the supplementary material brings up throws up little bits of biography information about certain characters and you think, Oh that's cool, you know, that's interesting, but no, you're absolutely right. When you need a translation in an airsoft gun to clarify the major point of the ending, kind of understand that. Also coming up for the translation section, resident site member Alan Wenpei Mao has agreed to translate the Hong Kong Resident Evil Code Veronica comics after an astonishing observation from site resident Sarah L.Y a hugely passionate yeah. Code Veronica fan who discovered that the four-issue graphic novel English localization published by Wildstorm has many omissions as compared with that Japanese source of single-issue comics. Uh, we're very lucky to have Alan Wenpei Mao at our site. He's native Chinese, uh, it's his first language, and so we couldn't be in any better hands. We'll be revealing those translations, but obviously with a particular focus on those omissions, things that weren't in that uh, four-issue graphic novel, English Localization, and that will be at the site very soon, and we'll keep you updated on that. Right, the site has expanded the Facebook content. We've now got a Facebook group uh, on top of the official Facebook page that we've got where residents can see all updates on the site's news. We now have a far more interactive Facebook group, which is far more interactive. Thanks to BSA Arclay for setting that up. Yeah, very much with that interaction between the fans in mind.
6: Basically, a big reason for creating the group was to bring the fans closer together. What happened with Sunny and Newsbark? Newsbot saw Sonny's gun translation. He asked for scans of the manual, and then we got him translated, which wouldn't have happened without the Facebook group. So that's basically the reason I, I set it up. And it kind of worked out. So,
3: yeah, I'd say that's a very good point. Without that group, we never would have come across Artie and, and him putting up the scans. And as you say, the great thing about that, it wasn't even ourselves that noticed it. it it's a, a fan from another site, new spot that comes along, spots that. And it's, it's great the way the community can work together like that. To so throw up on that occasion was quite significant kind of information about Blue Umbrella.
2: Like you said, it's very interactive. It's just great that we could all like you know meet in one spot, bounce off each other. And like you said, that's how the translation came about. So it's nice. It's really nice.
3: Crimsonhead.com Survival Horror Mansion. So all lovers of survival horror and Resident Evil, please head over to the Crimsonhead.com Survival Horror Mansion and get in contact with other fans from all over the world that love this survival horror. Site articles coming up. Of course, we've got our site article section and fans of Resident Evil can read about Resident Evil 3.5. There's an article on Lisa Trevor. Further additions to that, we've got BSA Arclay, USS Command and the Oracle Dragon all working on separate projects for the article section. Okay, so we're all dying to know, starting with BSA Arclay, what are you researching?
6: Basically, I gathered everything I could uh, together, every source I could find on 4.5, such as the guidebook, the art book, trailers. I just put it all together in like into a chronological timeline. There's quite a few things which I, I found which I don't believe are well known. Yeah, it was just really interesting to see the the full story um, placed into the correct order. Uh, the first half of the article concerns 4.5, the scrap version, and the second half focuses on the RE5 beta.
3: Oh, fantastic. We really look forward to that because of all the betas, that's one that I found is the least focused on.
6: Yeah, exactly. And that's basically where I put it together because I, I've looked and there's now many places you can see all that information compiled in, into one place. So that was my thought process for it.
3: And a good timing as well with our very contentious Resident Evil 5 Save the Franchise thread in our forum. Yeah. <laughs> USS Command, you're compiling an article entitled Combining
1: the Evil." Article series. Yeah. The first one is called Combining the Evil File One Inserted Evil. The series is going to focus on stuff that's non canon, and I'm going to work it, analyze it, go through every little detail it has, and write up how it can fit and expand upon what we already know. But what's interesting about that,
3: people like myself that have been highly critical of certain non-canon installments, you've actually gone and found some quite interesting information in those those sources. Do you just want to say quickly what Inserted Evil is? Am I right in thinking it's the, the marketing campaign for Operation Raccoon City?
1: It's the alternate reality game that they used to market it, Operation Raccoon City. It was originally supposed to tie into ORC, but due to Slank 6 getting massive rewrites, it doesn't get utilized at all, sadly.
3: You went, and we've actually got a lot of this in our rarity section. You found quite a lot of these inserted evil documents, files. We've even got one authored by Chief Brian Irons, which residents, if they go to our YouTube channel, can actually hear Gary Crawford, who played Brian Irons, reprise his role as the chief, and he then reads one of those inserted evil files.
1: The recovered response. It was later he wrote that he threw away because it was too violent
3: under investigation for sexual harassment and he gives the sort of reply response to that allegation that only chief irons can fans can hear gary crawford reprise his role and and read that out visit resident evil podcasts on youtube that's the crimson head elder youtube channel resident evil podcasts and they can hear all our podcasts and all the famous actors reprise their roles and the file readings that we've had over there I have to mention Snaky Boy, a well-known DeviantArt member. Now, all the designs at our site that use Resident Evil fonts, particularly the Resident Evil 7 font, Resident Evil 4 font, these have all been created by Snaky Boy. You can find him at DeviantArt. He also does Resident Evil 1, and I noticed a really good Outlast 2 font, but particularly the Resident Evil 4 and 7, and it's very kind of him to allow us to use them. Over to the site Forum, our community forum, which is very busy at the moment. We've got Survival Horror Phantom all over the world. Sonny Bauer, quite a new member who's with us this evening. We've got some great discussions. Quickly throw our focus and highlight a couple. We've got USS Commands, how the X-Virus works. Uh, We were just discussing how he focuses on some non-canon material to throw up some interesting points. So USS command, you've been looking at the Fire and Ice graphic novels, and that's been the inspiration for your thread how the X-Virus
1: works. I was just curious to see what the X for the X-Virus stand for, because T stands for Tyrant, G stands for God. So I started looking up anything that starts with an X that would be potentially useful in augmenting BOWs. And after a long time of searching, I finally found an element called Xenon that does everything you could ever want it to do to augment V.O.W.s and more. And, yeah, I don't want to talk about too much because I'd probably end up frying you all's brains. <laughs> I'll just leave it to the dumbed-down version I'd put up on the forum.
6: Nothing dumbed-down about that version, man. That, that took me ages to get through. That was melting my brain.
1: Well, you should have seen it
2: originally. <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> We've got Sonny Bar. You've started
3: with a, a great thread. What happened at the Spencer Estate?
2: What's fascinating... How, how long has it been since the original game came out? About 21 years. Through all those years, no matter no matter how many times you play through Director's Cut, no matter how many times you play through the remake, no matter how many times you play through Deadly Silence, or even Umbrella Chronicles, there's still no, to this day, no definitive canon pathway, no matter how many times you play that game. And that's, a, that's an amazing thing about the classic games, is that it's, there's really no one linear path that you could go I love the story of the first game. I love the stars team. I love the mansion setting. I love the whole conspiracy and betrayal. And I love this group of characters. They're all very unique in, in certain ways. And I just am fascinated with what could be, how was this, how did this transpire? Who went where? Who encountered what? Who, who uh, was the one who investigated the first gunshot? You could only have three survivors from each scenario. Who encounters what? Who, who encounters Enrico in the caves? Who is in the laboratory when the double cross happens? Who goes to the residence and encounters the sharks and the plant? Stuff like that. And I think it's just very interesting to try and uh, get everybody's opinion and try to piece that together.
3: Various timestamps during that journey through the mansion throughout particular interest. You mentioned Enrico. There's always that thing when he's looking at Chris and he's saying you, and there was that slight suggestion that he actually felt Chris was the betrayer.
6: Games like that are mysteries like that, which will keep the fans talking for, for many years, like the events of The Thing, John Carpenter's movie, people are still talking about it to this day, like who was infected first, was McCready The Thing in the ending? Similar with uh, Spencer estate. a lot of mystery surrounding that mansion, people are always trying to work it out, there's not exactly answers there, but sometimes there might be clues, it's definitely fun to discuss. And it could go five different ways. If you were to actually try pieces together as one cohesive
2: story or plot, how does that work? It's it's quite interesting.
6: That's what would be interesting if it was made into like a live-action film true to that plot, because then they'd have to try and work out exactly. And then you would actually have an idea of the events then. That's why I always rooted for a live-action film, but I don't think we're ever going to get that.
3: <laughs> Finally, uh, I've been saving it to last. We've got BSA, Art Clay's, Resident Evil 5 Save the Franchise very contentious. Very Very
6: controversial.
3: (laughs) Very controversial to say the least.
6: Definitely probably the most heated thread in the forum right now. (laughs) (laughs) And that wasn't my intention. I thought people would understand where I was coming from. I mean, I wasn't exactly saying this is the greatest Resident Evil game ever made. This game was like a keystone in, in the survival of the series because it came at the right time and it's actually been a major success for them. And it's been a launchpad for a lot of titles. So... I think it's like a double-edged sword. It's like it's like it saved the franchise, but
2: then at what cost? Where you get caricature, big, muscly Chris, really mustache, twirly Wesker and over the top action and then it's like oh this is what we're going to deal with now yeah it's on the map but now we got to deal with this shit (laughs) yeah but that
6: was a part of it as well that began with resident evil 4 a lot of people put a lot of shit on resident evil 5 but then they seem to forget that they began with resident evil 4
3: i'm gonna have to act as referee here and say (laughs) take it to the forum
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm, i'm just asking the question
5: This place has been abandoned? Zoe?
6: Zoe? There's a lot more to bioterrorism than we thought.
3: So, on now to Resident Evil news across the world. We have breaking news. We won't be discussing this as a group, in preference for a detailed analysis after the Tokyo Game Show, when a more detailed narrative will undoubtedly be revealed. But just two days ago, Capcom confirmed Resident Evil 7 Biohazard Gold Edition is to be released on PlayStation 4, Xbox One and PC, alongside the delayed but much-anticipated Not-A-Hero DLC. Together, though, with a surprise instalment titled End of Zoe. Now, the release for both digital and physical will be December the 12th, and alongside these two new episodes, the previously released DLC, Band Footage, Volumes 1 and 2 will also be included. Now, according to Capcom's press release, End of Zoe is a shocking instalment where players discover what Zoe's fate will be. Players will face off against new enemies and explore new swamped-filled areas. It will be included in the gold edition or available as an update if you are a season pass owner. Owners of the original release will also be available to purchase the content as separate download for in dollars 14.99, euros at 14.99 or in pounds 11.99. As we know, the Not A Hero DLC will be free and focuses on the return of Chris Redfield. Now, that's the interesting confirmation in the press release. Yes, Chris Redfield. Not a clone, not hunk, but good old, with the emphasis on old, Chris Redfield. Although he's definitely had some work done. Taking place after the horrific events that befell Ethan Winters in the main game, the press release goes on to say, as a member of New Umbrella, Chris and team quickly set up a strategy to counter this latest threat. So, lots to discuss there. Not to mention the revelation of a new umbrella with a brand spanking new blue badge revelations a revelations remaster has been ported to ps4 and xbox one released on august 31st at a price of 20 or if you're in the uk 1999 the port featured all previous dlc and is available in both physical which i'm really pleased as a collector it's uh, available in physical and digital anyone had a chance to play that yet
6: Oh, that map is is awful.
3: <laughs> See, I like it when I get lost in Resident Evil, and that's you know one of my complaints about Resident <laughs> Evil. I, that's one of my complaints about Five is it's just too linear. Well, I think it's definitely worth $19.99 for the upgrade to 1080 because I've really enjoyed it. I know some people have been complaining it's not enough to justify a separate port, but I think for a game with this type of atmosphere, which looks as good as this, I, I'm, I'm quite happy. And I've been playing a bit of it, and uh, it is noticeably high quality. And there's actually been one addition. I think BSS Arkley, you were mentioning this. A localization error in the English has been corrected. In terms of, I think initially Tricell were trying to get away, shift the blame, but now. Now it's there to see they were very much responsible for the t virus.
6: When the translation was fixed, we got about the translation, it basically changed the blame from the GPC to International Pharmaceutical Company, which basically means Tricell.
3: So in the original English localization for Revelations on 360 and PS3 and obviously DS before that, it was the GPC were responsible for the t
6: yeah but to me it seems a bit redundant because what happens with tricell revelations 2 in the opening cutscene? then tricell is written off much like umbrella was written off at the beginning of resident evil 4 brings me back to my re5 fred and how re5 set up this amazing new evil corporation and they've just crapped it out it's gone and now we're on to the next there's so many companies there's so many different companies in the in the franchise it just kept changing kind of like
2: how the village keep changing and they're not staying consistent because they come for one game and then they get killed.
3: I thought there was a lot of promise with Tricell, and that was a huge disappointment in a game that I really loved, Revelations 2.
2: Same with Alex Wesker. The, you know, they're both written off. Like you, you think Alex Wesker is going to be this big driving force? You meet her and she just shoots herself in the head. Mm. <laughs> like you know, and, and then Tricell's written off. It's there you go. You got two big things just written off in the same game. Could have been consistent. She could have taken over or something like that and ran with it could have had a whole storyline attached to that
3: staying with revelations uh resident evil revelations collection has been announced the collection consists of both revelations and revelations 2 for nintendo switch the collection has been priced at 40 dollars. it comes with one game cartridge and one digital code revelations 2 being the digital code alternatively you can purchase the games individually as digital downloads at 20 dollars each both titles come with all previous DLC released. Release dates have not been officially announced, and they did, however, mention it would be sometime in late 2017.
6: Does anybody uh, have a Nintendo Switch? Or is anybody intending on buying one? I
3: might do for my collection. Other than that, I'd love to play them as mobile games, but I think you can play Revelations on a PSP because I've got Revelations too, the lovely little cartridge. I'm sure other collectors mm. like me love.
6: On the PS Vita, yeah, yeah. that's a rare game, <laughs> the physical. Oh, yeah, it cost me a fair bit to be able to play it, yeah. I haven't got a Vita, though. (laughs) (laughs) I got a Vita, and I haven't got the game, so... (laughs) That's a date.
3: Right, I was going to scroll down the page and leave this one to last, but actually, let's just get it out of the way now. Resident Evil Vendetta news... The worst installment of anything,
2: even the live-action <laughs>
3: film. Not the worst thing in the world, full stop. It's like elementary school Glenarius falling for Rebecca because she's the spitting image of his wife. It's the so same I'm
6: character like... model as well. It's the
2: exact same character. Yeah, model. yeah with like blonde <laughs> and brown hair. It's the only difference. <laughs> the, the same these... beauty marks too on her face, probably. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Rightly or wrongly, it was released worldwide on July the 18th via 4K, Blu ray, and DVD. Review scores coming in IGN 4.5 out of 10, IMDb average rating of 6.3 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes giving it 4.6 out of 10.
2: The scores are fair. That's basically what I would give it because it started off great and they teased us, you know, with like that investigating the house for like the first 10 minutes or so, and then it just derails. That's the bit I thoroughly
3: enjoyed, reminding me of the mansion. It's not like you're playing through the game again, so it didn't feel too samey. Just watching it on the big screen was fantastic. I loved the tension and the atmosphere when they found that first B.O.W. that was just horrific in its childlike nature. And then all downhill.
2: Yeah, and Glenn Arias should have just been Wesker. Wesker shouldn't have been dead, because that fight at the end would have been amazing if it was Wesker and Chris, and not Chris and some random dude. They just brought in to write off (laughs) again. (laughs) Again. Yeah. Yeah, Alex Wesker
3: style.
1: But one thing I want to talk about, how y'all keep saying it derailed towards the end, it showed us early on that the main characters are BSAA people. The BSAA fight BOWs in war zones. That's something that I think people sort of realized from the get-go, that it's going to be action-based because that's what the BSAA do. They fight in war.
2: That's not the problem that I have with it. You've got Chris and Glenn Arias running around in circles, shooting at each other and missing it about five feet away from yeah. each other. Yeah. And you got Leon being thrown up into the air by a B.O.W., and somehow he misses being impaled by flipping over midair. And he gets thrown into a wall and doesn't break his back. It's interesting because I completely
3: agree with Sonny, and that's what makes the watching experience for me very jarring and takes me out takes me out of the narrative. But Code Veronica Freak, who lives in Japan, has mentioned that it's predominantly for Japanese market. Market. And the Japanese view it rather differently in terms of, I think, the best way to put it is they don't take it so seriously. And there's a particular Japanese phrase, I'm not going to crucify it with my pronunciation, but it's effectively, I think, the Westernized version.
6: Shit happens. <laughs>
3: yeah, shit, shit happens. You get over <laughs> yeah. it. But very much in terms of, you know, shit happens, this is entertainment, and they just enjoy the spectacle more. Whereas maybe us as a Western audience, we're kind of trying to pick holes in the reality
2: I'm willing to suspend my disbelief a little bit. I'm, I'm willing to believe that our heroes are above the average, like, you know, grunt or soldier. But when they start to get thrown against, like, you know, walls and, like, you see them, like, their back bends around a corner. And you hear like the crunch and they fall on the ground and just recover instantly without like like a vertebrae completely dislodged or <laughs> yeah. something. That's just a little bit ridiculous to me. You what know? did
6: you think about the, the scene where Chris and Leon fight the zombies together? Because I thought that was quite believable considering who these two are. I thought That, like, that was yeah. – I was willing to
2: suspend my disbelief for that. That, was, yeah. that showed how skilled they were individually and mm. strangely somehow working together.
1: They had a VR version of that scene in the hallway, where you basically saw it off from the zombie's point of view.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, basically the VR starts out,
1: you're walking across the street, and then the trigger virus gets out, and then your hands start mutating, you scream, and then you black out, and you come through, you're in an elevator, and then you're, you get to watch it from the zombie's point of view, that entire scene. It was a VR thing for PlayStation 4.
2: Oh, wow.
1: As far as I know, it's just a free download, kind of like the kitchen demo.
2: Another thing that they did with this is that they blatantly did a role reversal with Chris and Leon. Leon's the drunk this time.
3: Well, that's interesting you mentioned that because one of the things that I really enjoyed, the Resident Evil 5 Virals
2: videos, the Chris Redfield Diary videos. Finally, Leon seems like a human being again after all this time because he just kind of seemed like a government drone for like the past like how many years. And finally, you're getting to see like a bit of humanity in him again, a bit bit of humor, you know, even more so than his dry humor. But then it's like, yeah, we just blatantly just like, you know, uh, reverse the roles for Leon and Chris in this just to do it they gave him a bit more depth to
3: his character because of all the STARS members I've warmed to Leon the least for the reasons you say, Sonny, he just always seems so kind of almost gender neutral, you know, just Mr. Grey.
2: Except, um, except for Resident Evil 2. Resident Evil 2 was was good. Paul Haddad, with his performance, the young rookie cop, the charisma. That's a good point. I, I, yeah. re- I really enjoyed that. But as soon as you get to four, it's like, you know, he's real badass and says almost nothing or just does dry one-liners.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It, it, he says very little, the dry one-liners that don't come off
2: well. And you're actually right. That did very much start with, with four. Paul Mercier comes off as very uh, very dry and very one note, and Matthew Mercer like especially with Vendetta when he's doing like you know the drinking and stuff like he's got the anger he's got, he's got a little bit more humanity to him. Mm-hmm.
3: I think it's jarring because it's quite you know there hasn't been much character development to this point you know one minute like you say he's white hat in in the westerns and the next minute he's now black hat. There's no development leading up to that point, but I still enjoy more enjoy watching a uh, Leon in turmoil.
1: The whole Leon getting drunk type stuff started at the end of Damnation because he got kind of pissed off that he was being used by the yeah. government. And then the novelization of uh, Vendetta explains why he's all drunk because he's tired of corrupt government officials in the United States getting his men killed.
3: The novelization throws more light on that.
1: Yeah, the, the whole opening scene for Vendetta is four chapters in to the novelization.
2: It's also interesting because at the end of uh, Vendetta, they kind of give you a hint of where he's at too. He, he turns to Chris and he's like, you know, how much longer are we going to keep doing this?
3: There have been some discussions concerning a fourth CGI movie, and the Vendetta director, Mamuro Oshi, stated that if offered to make another CGI movie, he would make it bloodier. It would star Jill Valentine and Helena Harper. Now, so far, I'm with him. This sounds good. There would be themes of motherhood and a female strong cast, lead female protagonists and antagonists. Oshii san states that he would like for the movies to feature a child or even a dog to show the caring side to those female characters. And this this sounds interesting, I mean you know, far more mature and adult than the ridiculous wedding scenario that we got with Glenarius and Rebecca. Uh, but now we get to the bit that I take exception at, and I'll be interested in what you guys think. Kobayashi-san, however, then added that Leon would, of course, return and wants more action.
6: Oh, uh, it's the same thing as Vendetta. So what happened is the, the Capcom staff sat down together, and the writer of Vendetta said, right, I want to make a horror movie. And then everybody was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's make it. And then Kobayashi walked in the room and said, no, I want action, and I want Leon. So what they did is they said, right, we'll do 50-50. We'll do half horror and half action. And then by the time it came to retail and the film was released, the first 10 minutes of the movie was horror and the rest of it was action. And that's all thanks to one man.
3: Well done for not swearing.
6: Kobayashi is essentially the Paul Anderson of the CGI
2: films. And Leon S. Kennedy is his Alice with the motorcycle and all the action and all the superhuman apparent, like taking damage, you know, and not being phased by it. Well, that's
3: a good point to bring in the fact that in further news, the Resident Evil live action movies will be rebooted. Finally, <laughs> some would say not a moment too soon. Well, when did the very first Resident Evil live action movie, the Paul Anderson first one, come out? 2002. 2002. Yeah. So my math. So that's um, so basically 16 years too late. They're being rebooted by Constantine Films. Kobayashi, again, <laughs> stated the uh, following, here we go, can I just remind everyone of the no swearing rule, <laughs> okay. that we kind of implement, but sort of, you know, we're a bit lax when, when it comes to Paul W.S. Anson. Nothing has been decided yet, no script, no storyline, no director and no cast members. He also confirms we'll be getting a new director and the cast members are going to change too, but I'm looking forward to doing it. You've got James Wan, who's is, is that? Is it correct? He's been credited
2: as the producer. He's not director. He's a producer.
3: So his previous works, and I've got B.S.S. Arkley to to thank for this. We've got is is the Saw, The Conjuring, Insidious, and Annabelle. So you know, as a lover of horror films, and the other guys, would you say that's a great CV?
6: Yeah,
2: I enjoy what he's done with horror. I don't like the one thing that I saw that he did with action, which was Furious Seven. I do not really like uh, his style with action. So when you think about it. If, you will, if Kobayashi allows James Wan to just go ahead with action-oriented, I don't know what to think about that. But if he allows him to go the horror route, I've got more faith in that I mean, we were talking about that sort of Japanese outlook
3: on the Resident Evil series and how they're quite comfortable with the uh, more over top action than a Western audience is. And I was thinking of that, looking at this quote by Kobayashi, because when he was asked about the Paul Anderson movies, Kobayashi stated, I personally like Paul W.S. Anderson's direction on the live action films. I would like to see more action Uh, when asked about the reboot Oh no, that I'm not going to talk about her. No, sorry. No, but you
6: just got to read it over for fun because I thought this was funny as fuck. Okay, she's such a contradiction.
3: When asked about the reboot, really, Yokovic stated, "I think what made Resident Evil so special is that the people involved really loved what they're doing and really, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> and and really, this really sticks in the throat, and really were fans of the game. I want, um, I want to
2: know what she's smoking, and I want to have some of <laughs> that.
1: I actually believe that statement." I mean, if you look at their props, their props are so much more in line with the lore of the games and the actual movies. I transcribed the newspaper we see at the end of the first movie. I've transcribed and owned the newspaper from this, from Apocalypse. I've looked at all kinds of, uh, you know, props that the actors use. Like every background scientist you saw in the first movie, you know, they had an ID card. But their props stay consistently really well made throughout the entirety of the movies.
2: Other than that, the story and the characters, they, they are not faithful to you know what they are, even even if even if it's all about Alice. Characters that they just threw in there, they're pushed off to the side and have no importance whatsoever. Take away their identities, you could just replace them with any other no-name character. I despise
6: the live-action movies, but the, he's done some good work there. There was newspapers, and the, like he said, the prop guys, they did a really good job, but nobody they're, else in the movie did.
1: I totally get you, but I'm just saying, like, when they say that, you know, there's people that worked on the movies that care, I 100% believe that. In Apocalypse, when Jill lights that match to set off that big fire or whoever the heck throws the match, it's a Grady's End the match. You know, Grady's End's only met shown in the intro of Resident Evil 3.
3: Where does that level of consideration come from that then gets completely lost in the entire plot? And script
2: and acting gets lost, George. Two seconds later, when she tosses the match, then it goes out and then you got out <laughs> standing there smoking a cigarette and she, flicks, <laughs> and she flicks a cigarette at a door blocking the gas in the kitchen. And the dogs just somehow smash the glass at the same exact moment. The cigarette's going to go through the other side and blows everything up. Yeah. Oh, my
3: God. Who says this? Okay, who said this? I would suggest that you find people that have the same passion for the property before you talk about reboots. Okay, I think if you get into this kind of genre, people are very sensitive to fakes. Now, who said that?
2: Really? Who said that? Really, Billy Jovovich. (laughs) (laughs) The last film has nothing to do with the rest of the entire series.
3: Finally, if we just end with sales figures for our beloved series, Capcom have announced the financial sales for the last quarter, which concluded on June the 30th. Sales targets of four million for Resident Evil 7. I'm, I'm slightly depressed by this because obviously that whole huge argument, survival horror, the direction of the series, can they incorporate some of the more classical Uh, game mechanics that we all loved and and grew up with the series and adored and and, and connected with the series because of those mechanics. Is there a place for them in modern gaming? So yeah, 4 million targets shy at 3.7, although those sales are taken from a six-month gap from January the 27th to June the 30th, and Capcom do expect to reach a further 2 million by the end of 2017, to take sales to 6 million by the end of the first quarter of 2018. But still, in all that time, 6 million, as I'm sure BSSA Arclay will tell us, compared to Resident Evil 5, is quite meagre, isn't it?
6: It's a joke.
3: <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> that was real contempt in your voice then. <laughs> And in the lifetime sales for the title, Capcom hope that it reaches 10 million.
6: They're expecting the DLC to boost the sales of the game. I mean, this crappy little mercenaries add-on going to bring in like, what, 6 million more sales? I, I highly doubt that. Capcom introduced this co-op aspect and it kept players revisiting the game when you've got co-op elements and you got online elements. But there's none of that in Resident Evil 7. So there's absolutely no reason to revisit this game other than to enjoy the plot, the story. They like to project
2: like these call of duty like sales like comparisons. Like they want to hit the same sales at like that mass market battlefield games or massive yeah. multiplayer online. It's not the same thing. Maybe they think that the VR is like a vehicle for like for the future. If if they weren't so focused on the sales all the time and maybe just like sparked some more creativity into it, maybe they wouldn't be in trouble. With the game falling short where they're trying to please everybody.
4: This is Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. And when I'm not stranded on the Queen Zenobia, I listen to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Can you see that area behind me beneath the red tinted sky? That is what's left of Raccoon City. Our platoon is cut off! No survivor's mouth!
3: I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters!
4: We're both gonna die!
2: Wait, don't shoot! Down! I lost all my men because of her! Oh, is lost. Cries of agony.
5: Unity breeds power. Power is life.
4: Biohazard.
0: I'm Riva Dipala, the voice of Rebecca Chambers. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast.
2: I'm Ed Smarin, the voice of Barry Burton. Welcome to the Crimson Head Elder Podcast.